Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your co-host, Joe Hagan. I am here with Emily Jane Fox for the final episode of 2022. Hello, Emily Jane Fox. Hi. Welcome back to this podcast, but also welcome back to your East Coast. You spent the last stretch of time on the West Coast reporting a story, which I can't wait to hear about. I know people will just foam at the mouth for, so you must be very tired today. I uh, I flew in last night at one thirty in the morning, so of course I'm feeling very sharp, mm. and uh, everything is completely coherent in my brain, and there's no problem whatsoever. Yes, I was on the West Coast, California. As soon as I left, there was an earthquake, uh, so I felt like almost like I was in an action movie and just like barreling out of there right as there was uh, you know the latest California drama. And uh, but now I'm here. It's sunny on the East Coast. Uh, we're barreling into the holidays. Sure are. And I'm reflecting. Okay. Well, I feel like this is a perfect episode uh, in which we can and should reflect. But before we reflect on some of the favorites, least favorites uh, of 2022, and what we're looking forward to in 2023, we can't go into. This episode without addressing an elephant in the room. And I think we've done actually like a really good job of making this a no Trump December. It is what is today's date. As we record this, it is December 20th. 20th. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've mentioned him. No. That's pretty good. I think we did a pretty good job and we are not going to use his name today. We're going to call him Humpty Dumpty. Okay. Humpty Dumpty. I don't need to say the rest of the rhyme, do I? No. You're good. No, because you get it. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm really excited to get to talk to you about this today because we have had a lot of guests on the January 6th committee on this podcast. You have spent a lot of time thinking about it, reporting on it, sort of following it, tweeting about it before Twitter became what it was, what it is today. So what are your thoughts now that the committee has made recommendations for criminal referrals? Well, first of all, I'm happy they did it. They did it under the wire, of course, and it's got a lot of symbolic import. We just don't know how, what its actual real-life implications will be. We're waiting to see whether the special counsel that um, Merrick Garland has assigned to this will strike with any of these, you know. I mean, this is a massive report with all kinds of, I mean, this is like on a silver platter. Here you go, prosecutor. If you would like to do this prosecution, we have a lot of juice here for you. Mm. Um, You know, there have been over the last year uh, some daylight between the Department of Justice and this January 6th committee. The January 6th committee was pretty protective of its information for a while. It wasn't like information sharing with the Department of Justice, but now this is the ultimate information share. It's like, here you go. We think Trump should be prosecuted as well as these other bozos like Kevin McCarthy. 
and it's really in their court. And of course, the Department of Justice is, um, you know, shielded from this political shift of the House to Republican control. So it really, there is like this very interesting new landscape under which this special counsel is going to have to consider what the political ramifications are of potentially prosecuting somebody who's running for president against the administration that is currently in power. So uh, that being said, do I know? I don't know. But I also, I was thinking about this over the last 24 hours. In fact, on the flight back from California, I was thinking, um, you know, Trump is very weakened right now. And one of the uh, politically weakened, and then people say, oh, he's been weak before and he's come back. And I'm skeptical, I will say, uh, of that potential for him to come back. I really think he's critically weakened and politically weakened in a way that I'm not sure he can come back from. But his political weakness is now going to be a part of the decision-making process, I would think, right? Like, what is the value of prosecuting him if he's already been kneecapped and he's got people coming after him in Georgia and in New York, his taxes might be exposed? It may do more harm than good for the Department of Justice to prosecute him when he's already, like, uh, you know, down for the count. I don't know. know, what do you think? Well, I think that there's something really interesting at play here that I hadn't really thought about until this morning, honestly, until you just started talking and sort of revealed itself to me. But there has been all this talk about, oh, you can't prosecute a presidential candidate. You can't prosecute a sitting president. But there is no roadmap for what do you do when you need to prosecute someone who is running for president in order to avoid prosecution? Right. That is, I don't think that that's ever happened in the history of this country. I'm not even sure that's happened in the history of this world. And so that is a fascinating thing that the country will have to grapple with Mm -hmm. in the new year. His intentions and his moves are so blatant and transparent that Mm -hmm. this is not a mastermind, master stroke of a plan to get out of any kind of culpability. Right. This is... I'm showing you every single move, every single decision that I'm making and and all the reasons why I'm making these decisions, but you still can't do it because I just announced the thing. Uh, So I think that we're going to have a lot of tough questions for lawmakers to answer. Um, And it scares me because I know the kinds of people we've elected for lawmaker in this country and I don't have a ton of faith in many of them. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. 
everything that is going to happen to Trump in the next year will be fascinating and complicated and sticky and it will feel good to some and it will feel like not enough to others. And um, the question is how much do we want to be watching the show, right? Like I care about justice. I care particularly about insurrectionists. I care about people who are cheating, lying, stealing and uprooting our democracy and everything that we hold dear as a country. I deeply, deeply care about that, but I do not care to watch the Trump show. I don't even care to see him get in trouble. I just like, I'm over it. I don't want it in my life. It's toxic. I feel like it's like a bad ex-boyfriend who you're just like, you finally seen the light about them and you just are like, I'm good. I don't need to watch the show anymore. And so I don't know. I, I, I'm personally torn about what I want to see happen and how much of it I want to myself witness. I think that like my biggest thing that I did for myself in 2022, which was a continuation of something I did in 2021 was like free myself from the tyranny of news sometimes. And I know that sounds silly. We are in a news podcast. I'm a news reporter and I tune into the things that I know are, are important that I, that are personally important to me that keep me an informed reporter, an informed podcast host, an informed citizen. But I don't linger and I don't get sucked into the vortex of needing to know every single detail about every single thing. I think we were all so addicted to all of that drama, to all of the knowing, uh, to knowing every single update as it happened. And freeing myself of that has made me a much happier, sane person, a better sleeper, a better partner. And uh, for the first time in my adult life, my husband, my father, my friends will sometimes say, what do you think about that story? And I legitimately don't know because I haven't Mm -hmm. followed it. I freed myself from having to know everything. Like for so long, I'm sure you feel this way too, as a reporter, some of your party trick was being able to not only know everything that people could talk about, but have a little bit of an inside scoop on it or an opinion on it or be more knowledgeable about it than other people at the dinner party that you're going to. Well, it's one of the things I dread about the holidays is getting with my family and all they want to know is like your inside scoop on the news. Of course. It's funny that you say about like, you know, you know, let's like maybe lower our addiction level to the drip, drip, drip of the news. You know, this is related, by the way, to the Twitter story which I've gotten off Twitter, and it's been a major boon for me. But we Mm. care about our listeners, too. And we are like our listeners. We share the same values and interests, and that's why you're here listening to us. And I think that everybody listening to this and the people I talk to on a regular basis, uh, whether in my local world or in the world of news, they're all experiencing and understand feeling the same thing, you know, that the, the, the pace that we have been in for the last few years is untenable. You know, it can't go on like that to a certain extent. And we're seeing, I think, you know, Nick Bilton's been on the show talking about the social media giants kind of flailing about right now. And maybe this is the end of the social media era on some level. And of course, it'll always be there, but the level to which we are committed to it in our lives and addicted to it, we're all becoming more aware of what that impact is on us over the long term, especially after the, the pandemic that we went through. And, you know, it's all been too much. And uh, as we try to recover from it and get our footing and back to a quote unquote normal reality, I'm not sure we want to maintain uh, that pace, right? And uh, just to return very quickly to the Humpty Dumpty situation and whether the Kings 
horses and king's men will be able to reassemble uh, that broken egg. Um, I think uh, so. Jack Smith, the pre- special prosecutor, you know, he's going to have to consider special prosecutor name. By the way, well, it's a great right. It's a Tom Clancy character, Perfect. basically, yeah. right? One of the things he's got to think about is. If you prosecute, if you become make this into a drama, if you turn it into a 24-hour news cycle story, which is that's what it instantly becomes, right? You play into Trump's entire MO, which is to have a grievance, right? And to light up his followers with, look at me, I'm being crucified. Isn't it sad? Isn't it unfair? Blah, 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 blah. Whereas if you don't do it and you just watch him sink and, you know, like a stone, as he seems to be doing now, maybe that's the best route for America. Yeah, I, I think that uh, disappearing him is the ultimate punishment. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that the it's the ultimate reward to ourselves to just not care. Yes. And that's not saying not care about all of the things he was part of and started and instigated and furthered. Might care deeply about those and we should all care deeply about those and talk about those and I think that you, know, you, you and I have talked about this a lot, but Trump is not the root. He is a symptom. And so I think we need to care a lot more about the root and a lot less about the symptom. And Trump will not be, Trumpism doesn't belong to him. He was the face of it for a long time. And, um, and he had a huge platform to further those ideologies and those views. But uh, Trumpism exists without Trump. And I think we are better spending our time worrying about the root and how Donald Trump came to be rather than Donald Trump himself. And I hope that 2023 brings more of that um, and less caring about this this guy who is really meaningless in the scheme of it all. I thought um, what was so fascinating to me, and this is maybe my own personal fascination because I spent a lot of time reporting on her and thinking about her, but did you hear the video testimony from Hope Hicks that they played? I've read it. I've read some transcript pieces. So Hope Hicks um, basically said in a video testimony that she had a conversation with the president in which she said, you know, I'm starting to really worry that this is going to impact your legacy. And he, according to Hope Hicks, said something like, who cares about my legacy if I lose? The only thing that matters is winning. And that is being used by both the committee and I'm sure special prosecutor to decide whether or not this is a real criminal case here, whether there are real criminal charges. And when he lost Hope Hicks, yeah. that so goes the rest of the the world, the country. I think obviously that doesn't mean that I think that Hope Hicks agreed with everything on the president. And I think that she would tell the truth in a deposition. I think she's a law abiding person, um, but she is a very loyal member of the crew the same way um, his children are in a way maybe even more loyal than his children could be. Um, And her entire life has been completely impacted by her association with him. Uh, It's a very, I think it's been very difficult for her to shake post White House. Um, And so it was just fascinating for me to hear that that felt like a real market shift Mm-hmm. And it's market enough that the committee decided to use it and play it, right? Like the, right. everyone can well, understand the gravity of it. And you've done such fabulous reporting on this this year. But, um, you know, all this sort of um, Trump loyalists, obviously 
his own daughter, son-in-law, they all seem to be slinking away and jumping ship. And the January 6th committee gave a lot of these people a out, like an opportunity to get on video and get on record and try to wash the um, toxic sludge of January 6th off of them. Well, I think that the, the biggest yeah. takeaway I've, I've had from from that kind of reporting is, yes, this gave them you know, a, a real ability to do that publicly with with the excuse of, oh, it was a deposition, right? We had to do it. We had to tell the truth, right? Um, but the reality is that Donald Trump surrounds himself with people who are opportunists mm-hmm. and people who are selfish and who care about themselves more than anything. And it seems to me that the calculation that all these very calculated people have made is my life is better without Trump. I am richer, I am more successful, I am happier without associating myself with him and that brand and his constituents. And that is a real thing. The people who know him best are running the other way. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me tells you everything. And these are, right. these are not only the people who know him best, but the people who are best at uh, climbing, Yeah. right? Well, and as, he, as they depart, you know, he's shown over the years that he, when he loses those loyalists, he finds some new ones. He goes to the backbenchers. He's like on the sort of like fourth backbench right now, and they just get dumber and dumber. So I don't foresee like him having a real uh, epic brain trust going forward. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm going to segue into this as related, which is that obviously it was an election year. So um, our heads were on – hair was on fire for a lot of this year thinking about what's going to happen. Are we – you know, we had an actual episode where we talked about is there going to be a civil war, right? Mm. This was actually on the lips of, you know, people all year. It was like uh, a fear of that the um, partisan fires – in our country were rising to some crescendo and they didn't, right? And when I looked back over some of the headlines of episodes that we have had, it related directly to Trump, by the way. We think that the Trump people were um, loyalists, were somehow um, immune to all reality, right? Immune to all facts, that they were conspiring to for a big return and that it was going to be armed, Right, we've. I mean, we've we published some of these articles in Vanity Fair, where you know, if you were out there talking to these people, this was the fear, and a lot of that didn't come true. We got through it, kind of better off than we could have possibly predicted, and in many ways, I think it's a, a lesson that there is some sense, uh, some center that might still exist, right? That people. Uh, when they are up against the wall and they're looking around and deciding, um, do I want to believe that the election was stolen? Do, am I going to follow those, those people down there? 
down that path, um, they didn't do it to a large extent. And I felt uh, that gave me a lot of hope. I know a lot of people are feeling that right now, I think, that, you know, we dodged a bullet. And um, maybe it's a sign, if if I'm being optimistic, which I've been known to do on this show, uh, that maybe we're stabilizing somehow. Mm. Well, sure. I think I think we're, like, out of some craziness, right? I think we're out of, like, psycho territory. Uh, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely more hopeful than I was a year ago. Certainly even six months or three months ago, I feel like I was really surprised by what happened in November in this country. And I truly hope that that's a bellweller of thing to come. But, but at the same time, there's a lot of scary stuff that's happening in this country. I think the rise of anti-Semitism is something that I think about every single day. Um, and I think that that is a symptom of really scary things that are brewing. And I don't think it's unrelated to Trumpism and the reasons why people were so drawn to someone like Trump who espoused what he espoused. Um, so there's, there's good things to come. There's, there's scary things to come. And, and I, I have hope and I also have fear. We touched a little bit about Twitter and about social media and about the internet. And I think that this is something that I am personally fascinated to watch in the year to come. I have a story coming out believe it'll come out next week. It's about a crazy, I don't even know how to, a crazy rumor that spread like wildfire on the internet last week. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a very crazy thing that happened and a crazy tale and to unwind it and to explain it actually was quite difficult because it was so insane what happened. Uh, I remember as I was writing it last week, I was trying to explain it to my husband who is like, I would say like marginally online, but mostly not. Mm-hmm. And, and I was explaining it to my mother-in-law and like eyes would just glaze over because it's very hard to explain the machinations of something that happens online to people, IRL, as they say. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the rumor mill that was going crazy on social media last week about this or last, uh, last month about this were they had real world consequences. Like the, the things that were happening online really impacted people's lives, people's businesses. Um, and they had no basis in reality. And, uh, it's a story that involves mainstream media and social media and venture capital funding. And it's, it's a really fascinating thing. And it made me really scared for where we are headed on the internet, particularly as someone like Elon takes over Twitter um, and is giving polls about the future of a major public company and the permanence of it all and and how scary and uh, real these consequences online are. And I think that it's really easy for us to forget that these anonymous trolls who you and I can brush off on Twitter, they can really have a groundswell. And if enough people believe them, then it gets into scary territory. And it makes me think of a recommendation I wanted to give for, for people going into this holiday season. And Joe, you and I can talk about things that we want to recommend for people. But uh, we watched all six parts of the Meghan Harry documentary on Netflix. Did you watch any of it? I did not. Weirdly. I'm shocked you skipped it. Okay. <laughs> we started it and then stopped it after 20 minutes. And it was kind of not for us. Um, definitely not for, for my husband. Um, and last weekend I was like, can we just pick it up? 
he said, it's a show for you. And he left me to finish it. And I said, okay, well, you just watch a little bit with me on Saturday night and then I'll go off on my merry way and I'll finish it, you know, when we're not watching TV together. And as we got through the first episode, we kind of got hooked because it's way less of a story about these two people falling in love as the first episode made it seem like, and more about the culture of the British tabloids and how they relate to the royals and hearing it from a prince who really understands the pact between the palace and the papers was honestly, it was fascinating to me as a journalist. And, uh, we watched, you know, I watched the crown. I wouldn't consider myself a royalist, but I would consider myself royal curious. And it was a very fascinating first person account of what happens in these families. And, uh, I, particularly as I watched this, as I was sort of finishing up writing this story that will come up about online people anonymously commenting and having real world implications. I guess maybe it just like my mind was on that and this documentary really spoke to that so much. So I, I highly recommend it. Uh, the first episode may feel a little um, ick to you, but <laughs> push through that and I think you will be handsomely rewarded. What's interesting to me is that they chose to do it to live out loud like that in a modern way, which is so sure. against the royal family. Sure. Um, you know, let's put aside uh, White Lotus season two because it's just so obvious that that's, you know, I don't know if you, I'm not going to assume you've seen it, but it's You should all, probably, I mean, yes. Yeah, me and my friends talk about that constantly. It's like basically, I can't have a conversation without talking about the endings. White Lotus season two, but I'm not going to, ruin it uh, for anybody in case they possibly haven't seen it but what an amazing show it is and Jennifer Coolidge is like that was like a world historical uh, TV character that people will for the ages you know Um, and I loved that Um, Bad Sisters is another show I would like to throw out there as Mm. one that people might like because um, also has one of the great TV asshole characters of all time played by actor um Clay's Bang. It's an Irish uh, TV show, but it's really hilarious about it's a on, bunch of it's sisters. On Apple, who can, it's on Apple TV Plus, and I will give another shout out to an Apple TV Plus show that has just come out. My husband has the second season of a show called Little America, which uh, is so perfect for the holiday break. And I'm not saying this because he's my husband, um, <laughs> but the show is an immigrant anthology series. Mm-hmm. Every episode is different. It's, it features a real story from a real immigrant who came to the United States and they spend a tremendous amount of time with these subjects, interviewing them, interviewing other people in their lives to make sure they get these stories right. And they are, uh, they're casting actors from all the individual regions. They are using music from all the individual reason, regions, uh, countries, cities. Um, and all the stories are completely hopeful, heartbreaking. Um, you really get so invested in, in 30 minutes in these people in a way that you really don't even do in a two and a half hour movie. And it's, I actually think it's like the one show that I've seen this year that truly could be for the whole family. Um, mm, great. and for, uh, people from all over the country, you don't, I think I love white Lotus. I love it. But like maybe my grandmother's not watching White Lotus or like your cousin from Ohio, like doesn't quite get it the way that you would. But uh, Little America really appeals to everybody. And it's if you want to feel good, you want to laugh, you want to cry. I highly recommend it. Well, I appreciated that because I just came from California and, you know, 
you can't travel around California without running into the immigrant story. And in a really appealing way, it's one of the great um, beautiful hallmarks of being in California is the diversity of that state. I will just say on the theme of spouses who did things in 2022 that were mm. remarkable, uh, my wife published a book, Samantha Hunt. It's called The Unwritten Book. And it is about her discovering her father's unfinished novel mm. uh, after he died. And it becomes an entire memoir and investigation of uh, what was in the book, what it revealed, and what it said about their lives. And it's a remarkable book that I would tell everybody to check out. It's on my list for this holiday break. I also read two great books this year that I highly recommend. Um, the first was Lessons in Chemistry. I absolutely loved it by Barney, Bonnie Garmus. Um, and the second, I tore through it and just couldn't put it down. The second was a book called The Latecomers, um, mm. which has such twists and turns that I um, I started reading it and I, I was a little bored by it and I pushed through and um, I picked it up on an airplane. I landed on an air from the airplane. I, I tried to go to sleep and I ended up staying up until three o'clock in the morning to finish it because I was so riveted by it. So uh, if you awesome. want to get hooked into two books, those are books that will let you escape from whatever you want to escape from this holiday season. Or mm -hmm. if you're on a beach or you're on an airplane, get lost in those. Nice. Well, I couldn't, uh, we can't let the review of the year go without a music recommendation uh, because that's my, you know, that's my bag, as you of know. Of course, who better to hear and, from? And um, the Father John Misty record. Mm, and I think amazing. you and I have um, talked about him. I was never a fan until now, I, and not because I had heard his stuff and rejected it or anything. I just had never listened to him. And he has a record out this year called Chloe in the Next 20th Century. And it is so good. And I'm so addicted to it. I listen to it a lot and I recommend it. It's very, um, you know, you're a Los Angelino and it has a Los Angeles atmospheric Los Angeles vibe to it. Totally. Uh, and uh, But it's really kind of unlike anything else that's coming out now. And in the way that it um, sounds and the production of it, it's a little bit of an outlier from, you know, electronic kind of music it's um it's almost old-fashioned but the lyrics are really fantastic we love father john misty in this house i walked down the aisle to a father john misty song wow uh, yeah the song there you have love, it. baby it's the best he's really special and this album is really special it's a good holiday mm -hmm. if you're on a plane train automobile kind of album to me it's relaxing it's it's a it's a mellow record but it also kind of is a classy record in it it reminds me of Harry Nielsen, who I love uh, also, and in the spirit of that Los Angeles singer-songwriter of old, it kind of harkens back in some ways to vintage sounds. You know what song I've been listening to on repeat the last 24 hours, which we can send people off listening to as we close yeah. out this year? Um, do you know the song, You Don't Know How Glad I Am by Nancy Wilson? Mm, I love Nancy Wilson. Okay, well, this song will give you all the feels. It really, like, I have not stopped listening to it. Uh, I've played it, like, you know when a song ends and you go back to listen to it again? Yeah, sure. That's the that's the feeling that it gives me. And uh, that feels like a good little holiday break play it at your Christmas party, your Hanukkah party, your New Year's Eve party. It, it will get people feeling good. 
before we leave, Joe, I want to ask you, do you have any resolutions, any... uh, Meghan Markle in the documentary said that every year she gives each year a word. Mm. And you could do a word from reflecting on 2022 or setting a word for 2023. I'll give you the option to do either or both. Mm. You know, um, I would say, uh, you know, the new year is about renewal, Mm. you know, and it's so obvious, but often you don't actually renew, you know, you make promises to yourself and then sometimes you keep them, sometimes you don't. Um, but, uh, I, we feel like in the last few years we've been through so much change and, uh, in a way we want things to stop changing, (laughs) you know, but, um, I do think that there's a positive change that I'm hoping the new year brings. And uh, for me, my hope for the new year is that um, we um, begin to change into things that we want to be and not be in a state of trying not to change (laughs) into something bad, right? I know that's kind of a a loopy, loop-de-loop that I just did there, but... um, you know, I feel like we've just been staving off bad things instead of changing into good things. And uh, I'm ready to change into good things. I feel like the butterfly is maybe the word uh, optimal uh, metaphor here um, after a time of being in kind of a cocoon of uncertainty. I think that that, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of re-entering society in a way yeah. and real life and going to concerts and traveling and going to holiday gatherings for maybe the first time in several years and to embrace life again is a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like my last year was a big year for me. I got married, yeah. I like sort of reared a child uh, from babyhood into early toddlerhood. Um, we sold a house. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I really feel like I settled into being a working mom, which is a whole new thing. It's different than just being a mom and it's different than just being an employee. And so I really feel like I found a footing of it and that was a big thing. And then in the year to come, I really want to, now that I feel like I have like a little bit of a foothold, I would like to bloom where I'm planted. So I would like to, to yes. really ground myself in those roots and then sort of see where that takes me. That's my, that's my goal. Uh, You know, between the butterfly and the blooming, it's like, this is like some kind of, um, who's the, uh, painter, uh, Ross. Oh, Bob Um, Ross. I feel like we're like in a Bob Ross zone here and I'm really, God, may we be so lucky. May we be so lucky. Well, uh, from, from Bob Ross to, to you and yours, we wish you the happiest holidays, the sweetest new year. And we are so grateful for you listeners for slogging through all of this with us. We are here for you. We cherish you and just wish only good things for you and for your families. And we will see you in 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. 
What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm oh. really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 